So if you have your Bibles uh, this morning, go ahead and grab them. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We are going to be looking at verses 26 to 38 this morning. Uh, so we're starting this series this month. We are, are jumping into the next few weeks of obviously Christmas-themed things. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story, but look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, the series that we're going to walk through is a little interesting uh, coming through Christmas in, in December. But we're going to talk about waiting for Jesus or waiting on Jesus in our lives. Because one of the things that we don't understand and we se- tend to miss about the Christmas story is that because we are a culture that loves to get things quick and easy and fast and short and to the point so that we can move on to the more important things, is that when we read through the Bible, the Christmas story is captured really in just a few chapters of the Bible. And we like it that way because we want it nice and neat and quick and so we read through it and we get it and we move on to the next thing not realizing that what's recorded in Scripture is the fulfillment of thousands of years of history of God's promises of people waiting and finally God breaking through in a way that, that they had expected, obviously for them, those who many had died before they ever realized the fullness of what God had promised throughout the centuries. And we capture that in just a few chapters of Scripture, but you and I have to understand there's something that we have a tendency to miss when it comes to being patient and waiting on Jesus. See, the challenge is that none of us like to wait. We don't like to wait for everything. We think that wait, waiting is a waste of time. How, you know this is true. When's the last time you pulled it to in and out and you were so grateful that there are 20 cars in front of you and you got to wait longer, right? Or the last time you got on the freeway to come home from work and the traffic was backed up for miles and you're like, I am so glad that I get to wait in traffic with all of my fine friends around me, right? Nobody gets excited about that. We get frustrated. Why? Because in our mind, waiting for anything is just a waste of time. Not realizing that it's in the waiting of God's work in our life that we discover what he's up to. And that's true for his people in the Christmas story. It's true for us today. And so for us to just kind of move through and quickly get done with what we want to get done, we miss the point of what God's wanting to do. And so for many of us, we, we feel that tension because some of us have reached frustration with God where we think, God, this is what you're supposed to do, and I don't know why you haven't done it already. We have a certain ideal of what we want God to do in our life, and we ask for it, we pray about it, and then when he doesn't do it and we're waiting, we're like, God, where did you go? Because we want it done now. And so if we think about that for a moment, you and I just have to understand something, that there's something about waiting that produces in our life what God only can produce in our life. But you and I getting through something quick and easy and fast doesn't produce what God wants us to understand. So this morning we're going to look at Mary and talk about waiting for God's purpose. God's purpose being the unique thing, whether you believe it or not, that God has designed you for in this life, that he has purposed for you to live out, that is unique to, than, apart from anybody else, of what fulfills his ultimate purpose in all of the world. Every single person has that capacity in them. But you and I get frustrated because we keep thinking that God hasn't fulfilled his will or his purpose in our life. And so we keep waiting, and we keep waiting, and we keep waiting, and we're, not, we're wondering, God, what have you done? Where have you gone? Why have you not worked in my life? So this morning, with that, that in mind, I want us to, to take a look at this passage because I think it's in the waiting. In fact, I think what it is is that you and I have to realize that, that there's something that happens in the waiting. It's part of the journey and the experience that we, that we have to embrace. Otherwise, we will miss out on what God's doing. Anybody ever traveled to a, a foreign country? Obviously, Vanuatu is one of those. But a far distant land that takes you on a really long plane ride? Who really loves long plane rides? I'll pray for you, okay? You have a sickness. 
But actually, Craig was on a Uganda team that we went to, and we, had, we went from Portland to Seattle, Seattle to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Entebbe, Uganda. And that's a long time. It was like 26 hours of transit, and most of the time is on a plane and, you're in, and layovers and things like that. But I remember the last four hours of Amsterdam to Entebbe, when you feel like there is no earth left that you can fly over, that you've rounded the earth five times, right? And we're looking at the GPS, and I remember our whole team was tired. In fact, I remember sitting next to Kim on one side and Tyler cutting for another guy, and then Craig, I think, was on the other side of him. We're all looking at the GPS, which tracks your progress. Worst thing to put on a plane that you're on for hours. <laughs> because you're staring at that, thinking if you stare at it, it's going to move faster, right? And so there's this little dot in Tebe, Uganda, and then there's the plane, and then there's Amsterdam. And we're watching it, and I kid you not, all of us were hitting, like, the refresh button, thinking, okay, when it refreshes, the plane's going to move a little closer, and I'm, I seriously, I turned to Tyler and I said, I think Entebbe is moving farther away. Every time the map refreshes, there's further distance. between. And then you're like, if you get closer and you zoom in, it's even worse. Because then you really see how far you are. And you feel that. You feel that tension of waiting and wishing you were there already. It's like what, you and I get frustrated with our kids. Are we there yet? We do that to God all the time. And God says, yeah, you're there, but you're not where you think you are. You're where I want you to be. So with Mary's life and the encounter that we're going to read from in, in, this, in this passage, she has an encounter with an angel that changes everything about her life. But it's how she reacts and what he says that helps us to understand some things about the way God works in our lives. So look at you, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in verses 26 to 28, because there's three things I want to highlight in this journey of understanding that you and I kind of have to get some keys down of understanding the way God works by his purpose in our life. And the first one is in verse 26 to 28, and that is this, God is at work in your life. Now, if you were here last week, we were in Psalm 139, we talked about that, and the reason that we have to talk about that is because most of us, believe it or not, make the assumption that God's not at work in my life. He's in work in other people's lives, but he's not at work in my life. So look, look at, we're picking up verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I'll stop there, and you think, okay, well, if you've read the Christmas story, you're like, oh, I get this. This is when the angel comes to Mary and speaks to her about what's going to happen, and Jesus is going to come through and all that stuff. But just stop for a moment. You and I don't pick up all of what's going on. A single teenager living in Palestine in the first century who's a woman would never expect the God of the universe to appear to her in an angel. She wouldn't. Because her assumption is, as a woman as a single woman, that she, in her culture, was worthless. Because culturally, that's the way women were treated. And it's really interesting the way that the scriptures are unfolded, because even in today, it's, we're guilty of it in the church, we marginalize women, thinking that we're being scriptural, and not realizing that laced throughout the narrative of scripture are very influential and strong female leaders. But we do what the culture did 2,000 years ago, and women are not important. So for a single woman teenager to have the God of the universe come to her through Gabriel and speak to her, she's like, okay, there must be a God. That God is actually going to work in my life? That God has actually shown up to do something in me? That she's now for the first time probably in her life acknowledging God is at work, and I never realized it before. And I think for you and I to understand the way God's purpose works in our life, we have to believe this. And I know I've talked with so many people who just don't believe this. We don't believe that God is actually at work in our lives. 
In fact, some of us are convinced, we don't say it, but we're convinced that our lives are just random acts laced together that somehow we try to find meaning in, and at the end, we finally die and we go to be with God in heaven. And that's the sum total of our life. We don't think there's any overarching purpose or design or reason of anything going on in our life. Not realizing that God is always at work, even in things that we think where we're lost, where we're waiting, where we think he's not working, he's always at work in our lives. And to discover God's purpose, you have to make that assumption that God is actually at work in my life, even when I don't think he is. I'm going to play you a short commercial. It's not for the product that's being offered on the commercial, but it's the whole commercial itself. That I think sometimes you and I feel lost. We feel like things don't have a purpose until someday you and I will look back over the waiting periods in our life and we'll say, wow, God knew what he was doing. He was actually at work in my life. So take a look at this together. I'll be honest, the first time I saw that commercial, I thought, this is the stupidest thing ever. It's a poor old man who's lost and no one will help him get home, right? <laughs> Until you realize he's wearing a GPS tracker for his fitness, and that's tracking every step that he takes, and he knows exactly where he's going so that he can create a heart, which is, uh, everyone's all, aw, right? But just think about it. You and I, anybody ever feel, feel like you're like that? I'm watching this guy run in a, si a crosswalk, and then he turns around and goes 180 degrees the other direction. Anybody ever feel like that in life? You're like, I don't know where I'm going. And all the while, we have to, have to have this assumption, God is at work in my life. There's an overarching purpose that God has that's bigger than what I can see or experience and understand, and I have to trust that it's there. Otherwise, I'm never going to know what is going on. I'm never going to discover what God's purpose is in my life and how he wants to work in my life. Second thing, look at verse 29. Another key to understanding God's purpose is that God actually has a purpose for your life. Now listen, verse 29, it says this of Mary. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So think about this. Again, you're a single teenage girl in Palestine at that time, and an angel comes to you, and you will respond the same way she responded, and she was what? Overjoyed, and the angel of God came to me to speak to me. No, she was what? Troubled. She's troubled. And it's, it's interesting that what, what's going on here, she's troubled because she's understanding for the first time in her life that God is up to something and God is working and he may want something to happen in her life. And so it causes her not like, oh, great joy, wonder, but trouble internal, like, like oh my goodness, what is God doing? In fact, sometimes I think you and I think that the only way God works is when everything's perfect, when everything's wonderful, when there's no tension in life. But actually, the majority of the time, God works and causes you and I to be troubled. 
In fact, if you haven't been troubled in your life about God stirring you, I don't know if you've really heard from God yet. Not that he troubles us all the time, but you and I have to understand that the way that God works is he will cause tension inside of us when he's wanting movement to happen on the outside of us. That's what he was doing for Mary. He's causing her to, there's tension inside of her. And if you and I understand that, that sometimes when you and I are just kind of plugging along in life and suddenly tension arises inside of us, we, we always think, you know, we try to run away from the tension. That's bad. That's from the enemy. Now, it could actually be God stirring something inside of you of maybe a little bit of discontent for where you're at right now because he's, there's another place he wants you to be. But you have to listen to that. And sometimes it can come in the midst of the most wonderful season of your life and trouble comes in and stirring starts happening. You're like, wait a second. I thought I was right in the middle of God's purpose for my life. I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. And now I'm feeling something unsettled in me. I asked permission to, to tell us, and Steve was here for a service, but Steve Schmidt, four years ago, he comes in my office. This is when we were over at Shasta. He sits down, and at the time, Steve was overseeing the food pantry, which was running well and serving a lot of people and had done for a number of years. And he, he sits down, and we're talking a little bit about the food pantry, and he says, listen, he said, the food pantry's running great, and there's a great team of people doing that. He said, but I just feel like God says there's something else for me. I'm like, Okay. He said, I know it's going great, and I'll still participate, but he said, I just don't know. There's something else that God's doing in me. I don't know what it is. There's something else I want to do to serve the church and serve our city, but I'm not quite sure, but I just feel unsettled. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's pray about that. What does that look like for you? And so I prayed, and we talked a little bit, and I didn't give him any ideas, but I'm just, you know, I'm asking questions. And so we finished the meeting, and I think it was maybe like two, three weeks later. Steve says, hey, let's get together again. I said, okay. So he comes walking into my office, and he says, I know what God's calling me to do. I said, what is it? He said, it's this thing called Laundry Love. I'm like, you heard of it? I'm like, yeah, actually, I know the founder really well of Laundry Love. He goes, but yeah, he goes, I went and kind of experienced it. There's a church doing it out in the valley, and, and we went to the laundromats and paying for people's laundry, but the, the conversation, and I said, well, Steve, I think that's a great idea. I said, I think that's something we need to run with. He said, God may be doing it in you, but he's probably doing it in all of us. So he connected with his, his community group at the time, and they started the first Laundry Love that our church was doing four years ago. And out of that, we have six out of the nine laundromats in our city now have a laundry love that's in there through community groups, through Antioch Church. And the result of those, so those of you who I can tell right now, those of you who have done laundry love, you're like, yeah. And those of you who haven't done laundry, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You think paying for people's laundry, what's all that all about? You would not believe spending an hour and a half in a laundromat with somebody who literally can't pay for their own laundry will change their life. Because it's the secondary conversations that come out of that. There are things that happen in the laundromat that, that lead to other things. In fact, this last week, our, our, our community group was in our laundromat. And, and there's a guy I've gotten to know over the last six months, and he's probably at the lowest moment of his life. He's working two jobs. He lost one because he got sick, and now his body's starting to shut down. But he can't stop going. So he's in the laundromat with literally all of his clothing because he waits from month to month because he can't afford laundry on his own and he waits for us to be there and we got to pray with him twice we prayed for something and we mentioned he goes well, you didn't pray for that i said well we better pray again and we just kept praying and we're going to see breakthrough did you know there's a there's a couple in our church that actually has welcomed someone from laundry love to come live in their house because they had nowhere to go these are the things that happen when you show up, and this all happened in our church, even though it's happening in thousands of places literally around the world, but it happened in our church because a guy named Steve Schmidt felt troubled about what he was doing. It wasn't he was doing the wrong thing. He said, God says, there's something in you I'm stirring up because there's something else I want to do in you. See, you and I need to understand the way God's purpose works is sometimes God will cause you to be troubled. 
And you and I just think, well, that's not, that's, that's something happening, but I'm still waiting for God to show up and do something, and God is already at work. You just haven't recognized that he's at work. Third thing, look at verse 30, going on in the story. You and I need to understand for God's purposes, God chooses you for his purpose. Verse 30, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, this is really important because some people will go to the extreme like Mary was just a little bit above everybody else because she found favor with God. But we know because grace is something you and I do not earn. Anytime that somebody finds favor with God, it's because God chooses to give them favor. Not because they're better than anybody else. But God looks at Mary and chooses to put favor upon her and says to her, I'm going to, we'll see how it lays out here, I'm going to use you for my purpose. And this is significant because you and I have to hear this. <laughs> As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I sit down with people. God chooses you for his purpose. Not them, you. Not the other person, but you. Why is that important? Because how many times have I asked people, like, do you think that God's maybe wanting that for you to do? Oh, no, 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 I, I can't do that. But so-and-so can do it. Or I have sent, someone will sit down with me and come up with a great idea for ministry or mission, and they're like, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, God's the one that spoke to you about it. Maybe he's the one he's calling you, and he's chosen you to do it. Why is that important? Because you and I are so good at disqualifying ourselves before God ever does. You and I have disqualified ourselves from more things than we've actually done in our lives. I know it's true because here's what happens. When you and I are confronted with God stirring something in us that's greater than us, that could be his will for our life, that could be something amazing, you and I default to, I think, three primary disqualifiers. What's the first one? I'm not gifted enough. God, you, you got the wrong person. I mean, come on. I mean, Mary had every right to say to God, uh, remember, single teenage girl, not married yet, baby, that doesn't work for me, you know, wrong person. But how many times have you told God, yeah, I'm just not skilled enough, I'm not gifted enough. I, and you look at all the other people around you that you perceive as being just a little bit more skilled and think, well, they could do it, and disqualify yourself. Or if it's not a skill issue, it's that you're not smart enough. Think, you know, I, I, just, I just can't put it together. I can't organize it. I can't, I can't lead it. I, I'm just not smart enough, yet this is the God of the universe who deposits his spirit in you, who gives us all the wisdom that we're ever going to need. And we're telling God, ah, I'm not smart enough. He's like, I know you're not smart enough. That's why my spirit lives inside of you, right? <laughs> and then the big one that all of us hit, and that's this. I'm not good enough. Jesus, do you know? Do you know what I've done in my life? You know me. You know my thoughts. You know the things I've done. You know the places that I've failed in. You know there's no way you would pick me because I'm not perfect. Other than Jesus, find one person in throughout the Bible that God picked because they're perfect. You won't find that person because they don't exist. But if you and I would take a step back for a moment and stop disqualifying ourselves... Because if you read through the Bible, you should feel pretty good about yourself compared to the people that God has chosen throughout human history. Because honestly, he doesn't pick winners. He picks losers. He does. Read the Bible and tell me you find the one winner. No. They may start out as a winner, but they become a loser, but eventually become a winner again because of what God does in their life. Or they start off a loser and they become a winner because of what God is doing in their life. You and I have to get to the point to understand if we're going to embrace God's will, that means God chooses me for what he wants to do, not because I'm good enough, skilled enough, gifted enough, 
or somehow smart enough to do anything, but I rely on what God wants to do in my life. God chose me. I mean, when was the last time you were on the playground and you, you never get picked first, and finally you get picked first, and you're like, oh, don't pick me first because I never get picked first. No, you're like, you picked me first? I never get picked first. I'm in. That's the way we should respond to God. So Mary's leaning in on this. So with those understandings, there's, a, there's three more things I want to highlight. Those are kind of like assumptions you and I have to start with about the way God works. God is working in my life. He does actually have a purpose, and he's actually chosen me to fulfill his purpose. So the second th- set of three things, look at verses 33 to 30, 31 and 33, excuse me. Some essentials, some must-haves in waiting for God's purpose. The first one is this, let God determine the purpose. So look at verse 31 to 33. This is really important because one of the reasons you and I get stuck in the waiting stage and think that God is not at work is because we've picked the purpose and God hasn't fulfilled it, so we think he's not working at all. But listen to what happens. So verse 30 through 31 says, And behold, this is the angel explaining to Mary, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall be call- his name shall be Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What is Gabriel saying to Mary? Here's God's purpose. He's outlining for her what God is up to through Mary's life, bringing Jesus into the world. He's just laid out the purpose. Why is that important? Because we have a tendency to come up with a purpose and put God's label on it, and then tell God, this is what your purpose is for my life, without ever bothering to ask him if it is. How many times have you and I been frustrated about things that haven't come to pass in our life, and we've prayed about it, we've gotten mad about it, we've gotten angry with God about it, and it still hasn't happened, and we're like, God, fulfill your purpose, and we've never asked the question, God, is this what you really want from me? Because we haven't determined, we're determining the purpose for God when God determines the purpose. It's, he created us, it's our life, his life through us, so he chooses what he's going to do. And that's where we find fulfillment. But how many times do we tell God what he's supposed to do? God, do this. Because then we what? God's no longer God, he's the genie in the sky that we get three wishes from, and if he doesn't come through, he's no longer God. But what if we let him call the shots? What if we said, God, whatever you want to do, that's what I'll do, because that's where I'll find fulfillment. So Jordan was in the first service, so I'll embarrass him with him not being here. But uh, my son Jordan, who, uh, who loves to play basketball, and a much better basketball player than I ever was, but his freshman year, he was the second shortest player on the team. So if you know a little bit about basketball, usually shorter players overall end up playing what's called guard. You stay further away from the basket, you shoot. Bigger players, taller players, play closer to the basket, and you play positions like forward or center. Jordan was a guard, and he liked being a guard. He liked shooting three-pointers. So his freshman year did that. Then he took two years off because he had some issues with his knees. And finally, his senior year, he could play basketball, and he was healthy enough again. But something happened from Jordan's freshman year to his senior year. He grew a lot. If you've seen my son, we all look up to him now. But he went from being probably like 5'6 to like 6'3, six, 6'4. Six, and so when he gets onto the basketball floor, he in his mind, he's thinking, I'm a guard. I played guard my whole life. I shoot the ball from the outside, I shoot three pointers. And his coach says, You ever played forward before? He's like, What's that? <laughs> right? Center, which is usually the biggest guy on the floor. And he's like, No. He goes, But your size is so valuable to us. He goes, I want you to play forward and center. And I remember Jordan coming home from the first practice. Dad, he wants me to play forward and center. I hate that. 
I want to play guard. I'm a three-point shooter. I'm like, I know, Jordan, but you're 6'3". I said, you're, you're much bigger than all the other guys on your team. And I said, that's where the coach needs it. And so here's the thing about basketball. Playing guard and playing forward center, it's like playing two, almost two different sports. It's a different game. It's a different feel, a different understanding. So Jordan, in a sense, has to relearn how to play basketball. And I remember the first half of the season, he was frustrated. He's like, Dad, I just want the ball out of the three-point line. That's what I want. He keeps putting me down low, and he keeps wanting me to play defense this way. And I'm like, Jordan, just stay with it. And he stuck with it. And each game I watched Jordan improve more and more and more because his coach kept saying, Jordan, you're not playing as a guard. We need you as a forward and a center. And there was actually one game where Jordan started at center over their 6'5 center, who was the biggest guy on the team. Jordan got the start at center. This is my son who used to be 5'6", 5'5", and now he's starting center. I'm like, this is crazy. And he played well. And I remember by the end of the season, I was so proud of Jordan because he had made the transition from guard to forward center because he finally said to his coach, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what, the team needs a forward and a center more than they need a guard right now. That's the place that I'm going to play. And he became good at it. How many times do you start playing a position and you tell God, yeah, this is where I am. And God says, no, you didn't bother to ask me if that's who you are. I may have designed you and wired you for something completely different. And you're frustrated because you think you're supposed to be this, but I've told you and I've made you to be something else. God determines the purpose for your life. You and I don't get to come up with a purpose and then tell God to bless it. That's the frustration. How many times do we ask God to bless us when God's blessing something else? Why don't we just do what God's blessing instead of doing something different and telling God to bless us? It's so much better. So Mary gets this, and she lets God determine the purpose through her life. Then verses 34 to 37. Second thing is that you and I have to let God determine the process. This is where it's harder. Because once you and I have an idea of what God's calling us to do, there's a little bit of anxiety, but there's a little bit of excitement. And I know for me, one of the first things that is, let's go do it. Not bothering to say, God, how should we go do it? Let's just do it. So look at verses 34 to 37. It says, then Mary said to the angel, this is a good question. I would ask this too. How will this be since I am a virgin? I haven't been with a guy before, so how in the world is a baby coming through me? That's what she's saying. So verse 35 says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called, excuse me, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is so important. I can guarantee you, even though it's not in the text, I can guarantee you this. Mary did not have a category for having a baby while being a virgin. That was not her plan. No human being had that plan. So when she hears that the Son of God, the Messiah, is going to come through her, she's starting to think, wait a second, how is this going to work? That's what she asked Gabriel. I, how does this work? Because in her mind, we can assume this is true. What is she doing? She's going down the road of, how does a child come through me if I'm a teenage virgin who's not married yet? So you, I guarantee this is probably what she's thinking. Okay, because our minds work quick, just like Mary's. She's thinking, i got to marry Joseph right away. Then we got to conceive so that I can get this ball rolling, I can help God fulfill his purpose through my life. That's got to be, because that's the only category she has. But then the angel says to her, whoa, whoa, wait a second. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and it's going to overshadow you, and you're actually going to be able to conceive without ever being with a man. She didn't have a category for that. But here's the thing. What if Mary took what God said and said, I'm going to run with this thing? What would happen? 
Jesus wouldn't have come through Mary because Mary would have been with Joseph and there would have been a part of humanity that would have been attached to Jesus in his perfection and it could not have happened. God would have had to chose somebody else. See, you and I have to understand, God doesn't just tell you what your life's supposed to be about. He actually tells you how it's supposed to be done because he's just a little bit smarter than we are. He has categories that we don't have. And to live out God's purpose in our life, you and I have to be willing to say, God, even though I have an idea of what you want me to be, I need to submit to you on how that's going to look in my life. Because we can fill in the blanks with God all day long and just get frustrated. Interesting that thing has transpired in my life. So 20 years ago, Kim and I have mentioned this before. We were in Ventura. We were on staff at a church in Ventura. And one of the things that we did, and some people have told this before, but when you're working at a church, sometimes you want to go to church and it not be your job. So you go and visit, and so you can go and watch other people do the work while you get to worship and just to be a part of teaching and things like that. And so, so what Kim and I started doing periodically is on Saturday nights, we would drive out to Simi Valley and we would go visit this church called Sunrise. Anybody heard of it before? Because at the time, Sunrise was the fastest growing Foursquare church in the country. And I knew a lot of the leaders, and we knew a lot of people, so we wouldn't come out, and we just want to sit. And so we would come out on a Saturday night and just enjoy what was going on there. And it was just kind of a nice reprieve from the intensity of being in ministry. And so, but I remember looking back and thinking about something as things transpired currently to where we are now. What if I was standing in that sanctuary at Shasta, and God said to me, someday you're going to pastor this church? Well, there's a couple of responses I can tell you would have happened. The first one would have been, absolutely not. You don't know what you're talking about, God. That would have been the first one, right? Second one would have been, really? And then the next step would have been, this is how I'm going to make sure that happens. Guarantee this is what would have happened. If God would have said, standing in place, you're going to pastor this church someday, everything from that moment forward in my mind would have come through a lens that orchestrated circumstances to make sure that I was present to be pastor of Sunrise. So when I would have transitioned from that staff position to plant a church in Ventura, I would have said no to it. And when I would have transitioned from that church plant to go to Newburgh, Oregon to take another church, I would have said no to it. So I wouldn't have been in a position when the church transitioned five years ago that when I got a call from in being up in Newburgh, Oregon, that Sunrise, which was New Hope, which is now Antioch, was a church that I was being considered to pastor. I wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time because I know myself. I would have orchestrated things. But God knew enough to say nothing to me because he was going to determine what the purpose was and how it was going to unfold in my life. See, you and I have to trust that God knows what he's doing. That took 20 years to unfold in my life. But God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. And if you and I will trust him to understand, let him determine the process. See, you and I, when, when God gives you a destination, says this is the purpose for your life, I'll tell you what he gives you. He gives you a compass, not a GPS, turn-by-turn turn direction. That's what we want. A compass just says, here's your heading. You're going to figure out. We're going to figure out to get how you're going to get there, but, but let God figure it out for you. Don't, don't try to figure it out for him. And then the final thing is this. Look at verse 38. This is the, the key verse in the whole passage. So if you and I are going to understand this concept of waiting for God's purpose to unfold in life, the last thing you have to do is let God determine it all. So verse 38 says this, And Mary said, this is her response, 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why is that significant? Because God has just told her something that is absolutely outlandish and crazy and over the top. And it's going to change her life in every way. And what has she done? She has just surrendered herself. In fact, the word we translate it servant, which is really a nice way, it's the same Greek word for the word slave. So she's saying, I am your slave to do whatever you want to do to a God who's trustworthy with our lives. She has basically let God determine everything. What's the purpose for my life? How is it going to get accomplished? And how that's all going to unfold? I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm just going to surrender myself fully to you. That's a powerful statement. That's the key to this whole thing of discovering God's purpose and living out in our lives. Is some of us have yet to be experiencing the, the fullness of God in our life and his purpose for us because we still haven't given up everything. We still are holding back. We're still kind of hedging our bets. We'll give up 50%, but give 50 for ourselves so we can make sure if this fails, I got a backup plan. But God doesn't work that way. Mary was all in. You and I have to be all in. God's purpose is greater than anything you can ever dream of. It is. And I don't think some of us believe that. We think we can come up with a better dream than God. So we try to live it out, and we work really hard at it, and we get frustrated, and we say, God, how come you're not at work? And God says, how come you're not living out the purpose I've ordained for your life? If you'll just listen and find out what I'm doing and surrender, you might actually see something change in your life. So I want to close with this. I'm going to ask you, this is just some moments of reflection. This is going to be an extended period of time. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And that's so that your focus will simply be on what God is saying to you. But I want you just to, to you, you might, if you want to, you can jot these down. But, but maybe just allow these just to process through in your mind. I'm going to ask you some questions that you may have the answer right away. But you may actually need to reflect a little deeper on what you're hearing in these questions. So to kind of help us, guide us towards really living out God's purpose in our life, moving beyond kind of the waiting and realizing that God is actually at work in what we think has been waiting, but he's actually at work. So just with your eyes closed, ask these questions of yourself, just com with complete transparency. Again, last week in Psalm 139, we talked about God knows your thoughts. So a dishonest answer, you're not hiding it from anybody. You're not hiding it from God. So just be honest with yourself, honest with the Lord, and ask this question first. Have I recently, honestly, Ask the Lord what he wants. Have I asked him what he wants with my life? Have I asked him if the career that I'm in is what he wants? Have I asked him if the relationship I'm in that may lead to marriage is what he wants? Have I asked him if the house or the apartment that I'm living in is what he wants? You and I need to spend time in reflecting on that because sometimes we just assume that we know. Mary didn't assume anything. And that's why you and I sit here today as recipients of two individuals, Mary and Joseph, who heard the voice of God through an angel and responded in obedience. And because of their obedience, 
Joseph's obedience not to cover the shame of a woman being impregnated without him being married to her and thinking that she was sleeping around on him, but listening to the integrity of the voice of the Lord to marry her instead. And Mary's ability to live out something that seemed absolutely ridiculous and allow God to bring his son through her. You and I sit here today as recipients of their obedience because they allowed God to do what God wanted to do. Second question. Are you confident you are living God's purpose or are you just asking him to bless yours? In other words, if you were honest with yourself, have you come up with a great plan for your life? Have you come up with a purpose that you think that will end in happiness? And what you've been doing for a season of your life is that you've been praying and contending for God to bless what you want him to bless, but you haven't asked him what he's already blessing in your life and blessing in the world. Maybe he's saying for you today, I have something else for you, but you need to listen. Your plan is great, but mine is greater. You may be happy now, but you'll be fulfilled if you surrender yourself fully to me. And then there's a third question. What would I have to actually let go of? Not necessarily lose, but that might be part of it. But what would I actually have to let go of to fully surrender as a servant to God, as Mary surrendered. I'll tell you right now, Mary had to surrender her reputation. She was going to be pregnant as a single person. She had to let go of that. She had to let go of her pride as she would share that with other people that they might look at her and think that she's crazy. She had to surrender any kind of plan that she had in her mind of what her life would look like, which was marrying Joseph and having kids and settling down, down to a nice, simple existence, which would never be for her because she would be the mother of Jesus, the one that would change all of human history. So would you think about that for a moment? And when you look at your life, what is it that the things that you look at your life and you think, if that thing was gone, I don't know if I could function. I don't know if I could be happy. I don't know if I could live any longer. Those are the things we talked about. Those are the idols that God says, you may need to let go of that to find my purpose. And maybe the reason you feel like you've been waiting is because God's been waiting for you to let go of the thing that you're hanging on to so that he can work in your life. Surrender it today. And then there's the final question. And this is what you may not be able to answer right now, but you may need to answer this afternoon or this week. What is the next step for you? Not what is your next step, but what is the next step for you that God wants you to do? And that's where I think you and I have to take a step back. And just in this moment of reflection, if we're surrendering ourselves fully, if we're letting God determine it all, then what, what, what he may start to reveal to us is there may be something different he wants us to do with our lives. And this is what it means. For some, it could be as ex what we would say is extreme as God may say, you know what? I'm calling you to another place. I'm calling you to another country. I'm calling you to another people. I'm calling you to, to literally give up everything that you have, sell your possessions, and move to another country. For others, he might be saying, you know what? I'm telling you to change careers because the career that you think you're supposed to be in is not the one I've called you to be in. God may be saying, you know, I, I'm telling you that the place that you live that you think is where you're supposed to live is not where I want you to live. You're supposed to live somewhere else, but you haven't asked me where I want you to live. So 
some of you, it's the relationships that you're in, that you're hanging on to, that God said, that's not the relationship I want for you. That's not what the relationship I want for the other person, that you may be considering that this is going to be a lifelong commitment. Before you get there, God's saying, that may not be the one, but you have to be willing to let it go. And in letting it go, you're going to discover God has been at work in your life all along. And you're going to realize that he has something for you because he's chosen you for his purpose. And the result will be you will see the God of the universe work through you in ways you could not have orchestrated on your own. He will go beyond the limits of your skill and gifting and wisdom and brokenness and sin. And he will fulfill his purpose through you. So Jesus, we thank you that you came into the world. We thank you for the obedience of Mary and Joseph and Mary's surrender to you. We thank you that even though for centuries your people waited for you to come and fulfill what you said you were going to do, and in their patience you showed up, and now from the backside we read back and see your purpose being fulfilled in all of human history so that we could be here today experiencing the joy of your birth the clarity of your life, the forgiveness of your death, and Lord Jesus, the power of your resurrection, all because people were willing to surrender and give it all so that you could determine the purpose you had for them. So Jesus, give us courage this week as we go. Would you allow us to be fulfilled in seeing you fulfill your purpose in our life? In Jesus' name.